Amen. Well, uh, a couple of weeks before uh, last Sunday, we were talking about three, three types of prayers uh, that the Bible encourages us to pray. And so this Sunday, we'll be hitting the third type of prayer. Um, and and uh, on SoundCloud, whenever we record this, uh, I, I titled it three, basic, three Types of Prayers That Everybody Should Know About. I think is, is how I wrote it up, because that everybody should know about these types of prayers. This, isn't, this is for everybody. Everybody needs to know how to pray. And uh, see, when you know how to pray, then you'll know the God that you're praying to. And that changes everything, man. As I've gotten to know the God that I pray to, everything is changing in my life. Everything. He's the one that changes me. And so um, we need to know about these prayers. And I want to say this just real quick. Um, if I were in your seat and I was starting, let's see, we go from like 1030 to about 12 or so. I am so ADD. There's no way I could stay seated for an hour and a half. I just couldn't do it. So if you're like me and you ever just want to like stand up, you can stand up. You don't have to feel like you need to sit down the whole time. And that crossed my mind the, the, uh, the other day. I was like, man, I couldn't stand up. I'm in meetings at work sometimes, and everybody's sitting there for three hours. And I'll get up out of my chair and just kind of stand behind my seat, and the, the, the meeting goes on. Uh, but I say that if you can't sit still, I'm just like you. <laughs> I understand how you feel. And so you're welcome to, to stand if you need to. There's, there's no reason to, uh, to feel like you have to sit this whole time. Okay, so three types of prayers uh, really enlightened um, to me through this book by the Reverend Yongi Cho, a pastor of the largest church in Seoul, Korea, entitled Prayer, the Key to Revival. He wrote it back in the 1980s, I believe. And uh, it's something that I read a long time ago. It really blessed me, and I've, I've, it's resurfaced for me, and I've read it. All based on this scripture in Matthew 7, verses 7 and verses 8. It says, ask and it will be given to you. That's prayer number one. Ask and it will be given to you. What kind of prayer is that? The prayer of petition, right? Most everybody is familiar with that type of prayer. I, ask, I talk to people all the time. I ask God for this. I ask God for that. Hey, ask away. Jesus told us to ask. I'm going to ask. You know, I'm not going to pare back on my asking. I'm going to ask even more. So that's prayer number one we talked about three weeks ago. The next type of prayer, seek and you will find. That's the second kind of prayer. That means I'm looking for something in God or of God or looking for God himself, and I'm seeking. And that's the prayer of devotion. That's the second kind of prayer. I'm devoted to God. I'm going to seek after him. And we talked about that. If you want these, these are recorded on our website. The third one. Knock, and the door will be open to you. That's the one that we're going to talk about today. Knock, and the door will be open to you. In verse 8, it says, For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And here's the one. The one, or to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You want a door opened in your life? Think about a door that you want open right, right now. Maybe you want more peace in your mind. You're knocking at that door, and you're saying, I'm not going to stop knocking until this door is open for me. You might be having a problem at work, a decision that needs to be made, a relationship that needs to be mended. I don't know what it is, but each and every one of us has something, and those are doors that God wants to open for you, but it requires you knocking. It requires me knocking. 
All right, so that's what we're going to talk about today. And this type of prayer is called a prayer of intercession, an intercessory prayer, a prayer where you're interceding on behalf of maybe yourself, maybe on behalf of someone else, but you're interceding. And I want to, sh- I want to walk you through a man who was an intercessor in the Bible, a man who interceded in the Bible, the prayer of intercession, all right? And this man's name was Simeon, all right? And he's, uh, his story is found, very abbreviated uh, kind of synopsis of his stories is, is found in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It said, now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. And what, what I want to do is I want us to look at the characteristics of Simeon. If you want your doors open, you need this guy's characteristics. You need his attributes, all right? You need what he had so that you can intercede and have your doors open for you, all right? So let's look at some, let's look at Simeon and figure out what it was about Simeon that allowed him to have his doors open. It says, his name was Simeon, who was righteous, all right? So Simeon was righteous. Well, so often we look at ourselves, and right now you might even be sitting right now and thinking, well, Simeon is righteous. I'm not righteous. I'm not righteous because I did this yesterday, and I thought this thought last week, and I reacted this way, and I really am not a very righteous person. So that knocks me out of the running right there from the get-go. You know what? That's not what righteousness is about. Simeon was righteous because he received his righteousness from God. You can't produce righteousness in in and of yourself. You can't be a good person in and of yourself. In fact, there's no one righteous, no, not one. That's what the Bible says, except for Jesus, who is righteous. And he paid the price to make you righteous. And all you have to do is say, Jesus, I receive the gift of your righteousness into my life. And when you receive his righteousness, he begins to make you a good person, the person of your dreams, the person that you could never make yourself. All right. And Simeon apparently had figured this out because he was, in fact, a righteous man. He received the gift of righteousness. Uh, so, in fact, it says in James 5.16, it says what the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Not a person who's perfect. No, a person who's received the righteousness of God. Remember that all we can do in life, never forget this. Never forget this. All you can do in life is receive. That's all you can do. There's no self-made millionaires, no self-made successes, only those who've received from God and have taken what God gave them. God wants to give you more than you could ever dream, ask, or imagine, but you need to be able to receive. You've got to open your heart and receive. And so righteousness is something that's received. So Simeon had figured this out. The next thing that we find out about Simeon, it says he, he was righteous and he was devout. Now, as we studied two weeks ago, being devout. Have you ever heard someone say they're a devout Christian or a devout Catholic or what have you? That simply means you're devoted. You're devoted. And I'll never forget hearing a a, a pastor speak, an Afro-American pastor just made a huge impression on me. He was was speaking. He said, you know what? When I started my church, I said to God, I'm giving everything up and I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. He gave his job up. He gave everything else up. And his church absolutely exploded. 
You know what the difference was of this man? He was devoted. He was devoted to God. You know what devoted is? Is when you make that divine exchange with God and you say, God, I'm going to give up my dreams and my goals. And in exchange, I'm going to take your goals and your dreams for me because they're way better. God's never asked you to give everything up for nothing. He asks you to give up everything so that he can give you everything. That's being devoted. Is saying, I let go of my dreams, I let go of my goals, and I do a divine exchange, and you're going to give me something better. Recently, there was a little idea I was toying with that I thought was a real, real good business idea, and, uh, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, no, I've got something better. But I kept saying, no, but this is so good, God. Look at it. This is a brilliant idea. And he said, you know what? If you'll give this to me, I'll give you something better in exchange. And in, by faith in God, I said, all right. And I let go of that. And you know what? As soon as you let go of something, your palm is wide open. And he places something infinitely better in the palm of your hand. So it's a divine exchange, a devotion to God where you give up and you receive something far better. Well, we find out from Simeon here in Luke 22, 25, uh, moving on, he was uh, righteous, he was devout, and then it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him. Wow. He was waiting. Now, I've, you've heard me talk about waiting on the Lord. I, I tell you what, this is so important for Christians to learn to wait. We had a missionary come by, what, two or three months ago? He was from Hungary, but he's ministering uh, to those in Morocco. And he married a, a, an American uh, lady. And so they're, they're in Morocco as missionaries. And he said something I'll never forget. He said, I learned a long time ago to wait on the Lord. And I thought to myself, what, what did that mean? What, what does it mean to wait on the Lord? It means to wait on the Lord. <laughs> it means you don't move until God leads you to move. And you don't stop until God tells you to stop. You wait on the Lord. You don't make any massive decisions until you get direction from God. And we find here that this man, the Simeon, he was waiting on the, on the Lord. And I'm finding in my own life, because I'm trying to practice this, Waiting on the Lord is a lifestyle. It's a way of living. I'm no longer pulling God. I'm no longer pushing God. I'm simply waiting on God. Waiting on God. Does that take a lot of faith and trust? You better believe it does. It takes a ton of trust. But as I'm trusting the Lord and waiting on the Lord, I'm finding it easier and easier and easier to wait on the Lord. Why? Because I always find that God comes through when I wait on him. He always answers when I wait on him. Now, this is a tough pill for us to swallow, but this is the reality. And here, uh, uh, this intercessor, Simeon, had learned to wait on the Lord. Well, what was he waiting on? Well, you know what? Let me mention just this other. I've got one other cool thought here. This really blessed me. This, this word wait in, in the, uh, I'm no scholar, okay, but this word wait in the, uh, in the Greek means to receive to oneself. Means to receive to oneself. And, and so as we wait, we receive in a spiritual thing the thing that we're waiting on physically. What does that look like? Well, 
I praise God. I've just been rejoicing lately, all right? I just carried a backpack on my shoulders that probably weighed, I don't know. Army folks don't laugh at me because it seemed heavy to me, but I don't know. It probably weighed 45 pounds or something, maybe less. I don't know. It got heavier and heavier as the trip went on. And then, so I'd carry that, and then I put another backpack in front of me, all right? So a smaller one, didn't weigh that much. But then we're dumb, all right? So we start buying some things as we go along. Well, there's no room in our luggage for the stuff. So we have this other duffel bag that starts getting filled more and more with stuff as we're going along. So backpack in front, backpack in back, Kyle's the same way, and then we're carrying this duffel with two handles walking along like this. Now that thing had to weigh over 50. I mean, that thing weighed, it felt like it was going to kill your hand. Again, army guys don't laugh at me, but it was, it was heavy. All right. Um, why am I telling you all of that? <laughs> yes, that's right. Uh, I'm still struggling with why I told you all of that. As, as you're waiting for something, all right, as you're waiting, I'm tired. I'm still jet lagged, all right? <laughs> as you're waiting on something, God, oh, that's why, that's what it was. Here it is. My back didn't bother me the whole time. I'll tell you, my, I've had back problems and I couldn't walk more than a quarter of a mile before I had to sit down on a something and just kind of adjust my back and feel like I could kind of get it back in line again. And then I could walk another little bit. And I, this, was, this was probably about three years ago. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm never going to be able to do anything fun again. I mean, I can't walk. I can't get around. This is miserable. My leg's stinking. You know, I can't feel my foot. And it's just, it's just not a good feeling. And I remember it, it was probably a year. And I would just pray about it. God, you're the healer. You can do anything, Lord. Just, just heal my back. And so uh, it was really cool. One day as I was in a at lunch, I was walking and praying a little bit, and I'd have to sit down every so often. I felt the, the Lord tell me, I've heard your prayer. No, it was the way it came to me. Your prayers have been heard. That's what it was. Your prayers have been heard. And you know what the Bible says? Uh, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of God. As soon as that word came to me, faith sprung up in my heart. And I just knew God's taking care of my back. He's taking care of my back. And so this, this, this meaning here to re- receive to oneself is you receive spiritually before you receive it physically. And so in my heart, I said, God, that means you're going to heal me. I mean, you, you said you've heard my prayers, and, and it's going to be taken care of. So spiritually, I received the healing from my back. And little by little, from that point forward, my back got better and better and better. I got feeling back in my foot again, and I started playing basketball every so often and enjoying myself. And so the whole point of this trip didn't bother me even a little bit. You know why? My God healed me. I waited on him. It says to receive to oneself. I receive spiritually before I receive physically. And so that's, I'm not one of these people that says name it and claim it and all this kind of stuff. I'm just saying when God promises something, he's going to fulfill it. He's going to fulfill it. And so you wait on the Lord and receive it unto yourself to welcome it. You receive it. You enjoy it even before you have it. That's, that's faith is enjoying something even before you receive it. But anyway, so, so this Simeon was a waiting type of guy, and, but he was waiting on the consolation of Israel. As I'm looking at this word, I'm a simple guy. I say consolation immediately. I think consolidation. Well, 
I wonder what the consolidation of Israel, as I studied it, it clearly doesn't mean consolidation. It means consolation. What does it mean to console somebody? If somebody's having a tough time and you console them, it means you encourage them, you exhort them maybe. They're, they're kind of down. You say, get up. Come on, man. You can do it. You can do it. Keep moving ahead. Well, that's exhortation. That's a, like a strong encouragement. He was praying for the consolation of Israel. What was wrong with Israel at that time? They had the Roman Empire oppressing them. And as if that wasn't enough, they had these spiritual uh, leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that were just putting this religious burden on these people's shoulders that was unbearable. And Jesus came and, he, and when he looked at all the, of Israel, he said, these look like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. They're miserable. They're, they're, they're oppressed. And so, uh, so Simeon was waiting for the encouragement of the Lord for an oppressed people. He was, he was waiting on the Lord to encourage, to strengthen, to pick up, to push ahead. And you know what right now? You know what you and I need to be doing? We need to be waiting on God's consolation in our lives. Waiting on it, looking for it, expecting it. Waiting for the word of the Lord that's going to pick us up and carry us on to the next place that we need to go to. So this encouraging word is what he was looking for. And it's interesting as you kind of dig into this, and I'm not doing anything that you can't do. You can do all of this stuff as well. But as I studied this word consolation, it's, it's, I'm probably going to butcher this, this Greek word, but it's parakletos. And it's the same word that's used to describe the Holy Spirit in John 14, the great paraclete. What's the paraclete? Well, the advocate. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. He's our comforter. He's our, in, our exhorter. And they really, in modern day terms, about the best and closest definition that we can get to this is he's our coach. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is our coach. He is not our referee. The Holy Spirit is not our referee. He's not going to throw, as in soccer terms, you know, the yellow card, the red card, or expulse a player. No, he's on your side, and he's encouraging you along and saying, you can do this. I'm with you. Come on, man, get up. Did you know sometimes coaches, uh, sometimes coaches yell at you? Have you ever had a coach or a teacher or somebody yell at you they cared for? Absolutely they yelled at you, but they were on your side. They wanted you to rise to the level of expectation that they knew you could reach. The Holy Spirit is our paraclete. He's our coach, and he's on our side. And so the Simeon realized it, and therefore he could intercede for Israel because he knew that God was on his side. Well, it continues on here and saying that the Holy Spirit was on him. Now, that's kind of an interesting, uh, I don't know, visual. (laughs) The Holy Spirit was on him. The closest that I can think of is when Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water and a dove came down from heaven and and lighted upon him. Uh, That's, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to be not only in you, he wants to be on you. He says, uh, I think it's Isaiah, it says, take off the garment of despair and put on a garment of praise. I, I like to think, you know what? I get dressed every morning. I could go out without clothes. You know, that, that wouldn't be a very pretty sight. But you know what? Every, every morning I choose to put on my clothes before I go out in public. All right? We need to clothe ourselves with the Holy Spirit every day. Amen. Every day. 
Say, I'm consciously going to put the Holy Spirit as a wonderful blanket of protection, of comfort, of wisdom. I'm going to put on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to be conscious of Him. And you say, well, I'm not like Simeon. I, I don't have the Holy Spirit on me. I'd like to, but how do I do that? Well, there's this no-fail spiritual principle that Jesus gives us in Matthew 13, 12 and in other places. Matthew 13, 12, it says, Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. Let me tell you what. If you're a Christian man or woman, even a little weak Christian man or woman, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit with you. Now take that Holy Spirit and become more conscious of Him, not it. The, conscious, the Holy Spirit is a person, a third person of the Trinity. Be conscious of the Holy Spirit. Be aware of the Holy Spirit. Begin to talk to the Holy Spirit. Begin to listen to the Holy Spirit. Begin to obey the Spirit. As you do that, He will give you more and more and more of the Spirit in your life. So if you say, I don't have much of the Spirit or any of it, if you're a Christian, yes, you do. Use what you have, and God will give you more. So we go on in verse 26 of Luke 2, talking about Simeon, an intercessor. It said, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Messiah. It had been revealed to him. Let me tell you what, an intercessor needs revelation from God Almighty. <laughs> if you're going to intercede for someone or something, you've got to hear from God. You can't be going, doing willy-nilly, casting out this demon or doing this or, or praying for the. You listen to God and you pray for what he tells you to pray for. You listen to God and he will, he will reveal to each and every one of us something or some things we need to be praying for. God reveals to us. He had had a vision, apparently, and it was that vision. He's not going to die until he saw the, the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. And so from that point forward, he waited. He waited, but he had this divine revelation. In Ephesians 1.17, uh, the Apostle Paul prays for the Ephesian church, and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of, revel of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Let me tell you what, each and every one of us, we need some revelation from God. We need some revelation from God. We can't pull it out of God. He just gives it. And we need to open up our hearts and begin to listen. So we see more about Simeon. He's devout. He's righteous. He's waiting on God. He's, uh, he's had something revealed to him. Let's see, what's the other thing I'm missing? Oh, the Holy Spirit's upon him. Then in verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When uh, the parents, uh, let's see, when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him, uh, man, I'm misreading this. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, and I'm going to pause there, he was moved by the Spirit. An intercessor, someone who's knocking at the door for the door to be opened, needs to be moved by the Spirit. You need to be moved by the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, I've learned recently that that means to be carried by the Spirit. All right? As Jesus, as the Spirit is moving, or as Jesus is moving, I'm following him, but it's really the Lord that's just carrying me along. We've got to let the Lord carry us. Did you hear me? You've got to let God carry you. Relax and let him just pick you up 
and carry you to where you need to be. Now, for us men here, that's a, that's a tough pill to swallow. Let the Spirit carry you through life. Stop trying to do it all yourself and, and, and carry all the burden on yourself. Let God carry you. He was moved by the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, you've got to be light enough to be carried. If you weigh, weigh uh, uh, 2,000 spiritual uh, pounds, God isn't going to be, be able to carry you. You've got to shed some weight. Shed some worries. Did you know worry weighs you down and the Spirit can't carry you if you're worrying all the time? He says, be anxious for nothing. Don't worry. It weighs you down. You need to be light as a feather so that the Spirit can carry you here, carry you there, pull you back over here, do this, do that. Get rid of your worries. Get rid of your anxieties. It weighs you down. You know, the, the Bible, Jesus said that the way is narrow and the entryway to the to that path is narrow. Broad is the way to destruction, but the, the way of the, the path of life is narrow. And so I picture myself getting up to this, and I'm like, my goodness, that is really narrow. And so I try to walk in shoulder to shoulder, and I can't. It's too. So then I kind of turn sideways, and I'm going to kind of inch in that way. And he says, no, you still got too much on. You got to shed things. What am I shedding? Well, I've mentioned worries. You got to shed your selfishness you got to shed your selfishness, your, your ambition. I've, I've been a very ambitious person. I want to move up. I want to be somebody. I want to do something big. I want to be recognized. And God says, shed that. It's too heavy. I can't carry you with all that junk on you. Shed your selfishness. Shed your worry. Shed your pride. Shed all of that stuff. And then you can squeak by that narrow entry path and walk on the straight and narrow. And let me tell you, once you get there, you won't want any other path. There's no other path as good as walking with Jesus. Straight, narrow, smooth, even path. No ups, no downs, just straight. He says, I'll fill in the valleys when you come to a valley. I'll knock down the mountains. I will straighten out all the messes. You want to stay on that straight and narrow. So we're, he was carried and moved by the Spirit because he'd gotten rid of all himself so that he could just be carried by the Holy Spirit. That's wonderful. How do we get to that place? Well, you just got to repent. Repentance is one of the most powerful things that you could ever do in your life, is repent. As soon as you repent of something, you say, Jesus, I was wrong and you were right. You are set free in that instant. Immediate freedom. Immediate freedom. And so... Uh, the, these are some characteristics of a man who is an intercessor. And you know what? We're all called intercessory prayer. You and I, we're called intercessory prayer. We're called to intercede for other people. You know, we are. We're called to intercede. Who do you want to intercede for? Your kids? I want to intercede for my kids. I don't want to see my kids fail. I want to intercede. If I had grandkids, I'd be interceding for them. I have friends that I care about. I'm going, to I'm going to pray for them, intercede for them. I'm going to pray for somebody who I come across who's just got a miserable life. I want to intercede for them. We see here an example of intercession, of some characteristics of an intercessor who is very successful at doing so. Look at this in Hebrews, just a, a few more thoughts here. Uh, Hebrews 10.25, it says, Therefore, he, it's Jesus, is able to save completely... Those who come to him, or who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. What if Jesus wasn't alive? He wouldn't be interceding for us. But he lives 
to intercede for us. Did you know that right now Jesus is praying for you? You're not on your own. You're not by yourself. He sees your problems. He sees your difficulties. He sees your, 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 your uh, you know, where your paths are kind of in a, a Y and you got to go this way or this way. You're not sure what to do. He's praying for you right now. He cares about you right now. And it says in Romans 8, 34, something very similar. Uh, who then is it who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God also interceding for us. He's interceding for you in your pain. He's interceding for you in your loss. He's interceding for you in your confusion, in your lack of clarity. He's praying for you. He's, he's caring for you. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I, 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 my mom, I know, prays for me probably more than anybody in the world. That's what mothers do, right? You pray for your kids. And uh, I often thought, in a very morbid, sad sense, hey, when my mom's gone, who's going to pray for me? <laughs> you know what? It's comforting to know that my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, is praying for me. That's powerful, man. It's awesome. It's encouraging. But this word intercede, just a couple more thoughts here. In the original Latin, I'm not talking about the Greek, but when in Latin, they would use the word intercede. It really had a stronger meaning, and it meant to intervene. To intercede means to intervene. It means I'm going to get involved, and I'm going to do something. <laughs> now, the, the best uh, application that we pr probably have nowadays is an addiction intervention. Whenever you have a loved one who's an addict, you pull together the family. You say, oh, on this, at this time, on this date, we're going to show up at our brothers, let's just name it, say our brother's doorstep, and we're going to do an intervention. We're going to explain the situation. We're going to get it all planned out in advance, and we're going to take him to a, a drug rehab or whatever we're going to do. You know, you, you, you have a, an intervention. What does that mean? You kind of get in the way, and you change the, the direction or the course of someone's life. Let me tell you what, when you're interceding prayerfully for someone, you're changing the course of their life. You're changing the course of their life. Your prayers have authority. When you're knocking on that door, God, open this door. You're doing so with the authority that God gives you. It's powerful. It's life-changing. Well, if you're intervening, aren't you also interfering? <laughs> you're interfering with someone's life. It's going to be uncomfortable. They may not like what you have to say, but the best example here is President Reagan. I had to travel to Detroit uh, for work a couple of weeks ago, and I got to see in the Ford Museum, there was Reagan, President Reagan's limousine that he was shot at in front of. It just sitting right there. I was just in awe. There it was, and there was Kennedy's limo and, and, and other presidents. And, but there was, they had a picture there of this man jumping in front of Reagan and taking a bullet right in his chest. He interfered. He interfered and he saved the president's life as a result of that. Let me tell you what, when you intercede for someone that you care about, you might be taking a bullet for them. <laughs> you might be interfering with, with a fiery dart that the enemy is shooting at their life. And you may never know the full story of the success that was created from your prayers. Your prayers are powerful. They're powerful. 
You're intervening. You're interfering. This, this man, Tim McCarthy, that, that did this for President Reagan was a Secret Service guy. The only person to have actually ever done something like this. There's others that are close, but he took the bullet full in his chest. He was interfering with the plans, uh, evil plans against our country, against our president. Second Thessalonians kind of puts this into perspective. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.7 it says, for the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. And we see this in our society. People don't want any laws. And then if you want to be the lawmaker, you're going to get in trouble for it because everybody's against you. But the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But the one, listen to this, the one who now holds it back, holds what back? The power of lawlessness. The one who holds it back will continue to do so Till he is taken out of the way. Now, there's all kinds of theological debates as to whether this is the Holy Spirit, is this, is this the church, is this what? Forget all of that. The point is, there's something that's holding the power of lawlessness back right now in our world as we know it. And I'll tell you, a big part of it's your prayers. Your prayers are holding back the power of lawlessness. There's all this crazy uh, arson that's going on in this neighborhood. We need to pray against that and say, it stops now, and I'm praying against that now. We're not going to have any of this lawlessness. This, the, I tell you what, the church, the, the church of Jesus Christ is holding back more evil than we could ever imagine. More evil than we could ever imagine. If we will take our responsibility seriously, we will be able to turn this world around in an unbelievable way. Is the end going to be disastrous? Yes, it is. But the end isn't here yet. <laughs> and so we, we pray for our country as the Bible instructs us to. We pray for our leaders. We pray for this world. We do everything that we possibly can. In fact, the Bible tells us, uh, make intercession for the leaders. Make intercession for the leaders. So I'm getting more and more comfortable. I'm a pretty nice guy. I mean, I, I, I'm not into confronting people. I'm not into getting in your face, screaming, yelling. But I'm getting more and more comfortable interfering whenever I see something is wrong. Standing up and saying, you know what? No, we're not going to do this. <laughs> this is inappropriate. This is not called for. And so whether you do it confrontationally face-to-face -face, or whether you do it on your knees praying to the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to begin to intercede for what we know needs to take place. All right? Now, let me give you an example. One last little, man, everything always takes me longer than I think it's going to. We got five more minutes, so we're good. All right. I remember praying. I've told this story before, but I, I want to put it in just a little bit of a different light here. I remember praying one night for a pastor who I knew was struggling with pornography. Um, I knew it. I'd seen him. Uh, it was kind of a pastor's gathering. before I was ever a pastor. Uh, my pastor had asked me to go with him. So I was at the, at the pool in this hotel, and I see this pastor from another city come down with his two daughters. And I looked at the look on his face, and it was very clear he was very lustful. You, you just see it on his face. And, um, and sometimes, you know, sometimes God shows you these things. Other times they're just super apparent. And any Joe Blow can look at someone in the face and say, wow, he's, he's messed up. All right, so I could see it on his face. And, um, and several things happened. I, I actually prayed for him at one point physically. I was at the altar and I prayed for him. But I remember one night waking up in the middle of the night and this guy, I could almost just see him in his room. And he's looking at the computer as he shouldn't have been. And I began to pray 
like deep, soul, soulful prayer. I don't know how to describe it. Just from the bottom of my heart, praying for this guy that he would turn his life around, that he would not give in to, to pornography and lust and all this stuff. I was just praying for him. And man, it was one of the most powerful times of prayers I've ever had in my whole life. I, I felt like I went in there and just ripped this lustful thing off of him and he was set free. I saw him the next year and he was a different person. Let me tell you what, let God use you to pray for those that you care about. Pray for them. If somebody's lazy, pray that they'd stop being lazy. You know, it doesn't always have to be about some ultra sin or something bad. If, if somebody is, is uh, you know, the, the, they're struggling in their marriage, pray for their marriage, man. You know, if somebody's finances are struggling, pray for their finances. If somebody needs to make a critical decision, they don't know to go right or left, pray that they'd make the right decision. God will answer those, those prayers. He'll open the door. But when we do this, be ready to suffer, all right? Intercessory prayer is saying, I'll suffer. <laughs> it puts me in the, in the uh, crosshairs. I'll take on the suffering thing. Because when you start praying for somebody, you suffer along with them. It just comes with the territory. And it's somewhat miserable. And that's why a lot of people don't pray for people is because they know there's this element of suffering that comes along with us. In 2 Corinthians 1.5, it says, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also uh, our, our comfort abounds in Christ. Let me tell you what, to pray for somebody is to suffer with them. It really is. Until the answer comes, you're suffering alongside them. In Colossians 1.24, it says, Now I rejoice in what I'm suffering for you. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. I am filled up in my flesh with what is still lacking with regards to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Let me tell you what. You would expect this of me. I'm, I'm a newbie. I'm a new pastor. But you know what? I stay up late at night praying for you guys. I pray that you would be faithful to God. I pray that you wouldn't slip into complacency. I pray that you wouldn't slip into stuff that's just going to bind you up. I pray for you. And it's not easy. And I know <laughs> that you pray for me. I know we pray for each other. But we need to take this seriously praying for each other, that we would be encouraged and moved onward and upward. There's this agony of intercession <laughs> that someone would just turn the corner, that they would just accept God's grace, that they would just exchange their old life for the new life, that they wouldn't be, you know, have idols in their lives. They'd get rid of and just put Jesus Christ on the throne of their life. As we're praying, this is hard. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes energy. Are you willing to sign up to pray, though? To knock on that door until that door comes open. In Romans 8.26, it says in the same way, the Spirit, we know that Jesus is interceding. We know that we need to intercede, but listen to this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know how we ought to pray. <laughs> That's frustrating. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I don't know if you've ever been at this place where you just, I don't even know what to say. I'm just going to groan. <laughs> and you start, oh, God, please, please, God, please. 
and you, you're groaning. You're like, oh, and that is that's it's at that time the Holy Spirit can literally begin to pray through you for that situation. You don't know how to pray, but God begins to show you in verse 27 of Romans 8. It says, and he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. Amen. Praise God. Well, I'll end with this story. I promise you. You can even look at my notes. Page and a half, and I'm done. 1 Kings 18.1 is about this prophet named Elijah. And it says... There, there'd been famine in this land, uh, it appears, for three years. It says, after a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. All right? He had a revelation. Let me ask you, have you ever heard from God? Anybody? You know what it means? He, you've heard from God? Some of us have, some of us haven't. God wants you to hear from him. Anyways, Elijah hears from God. I don't know if he heard him verbally or if he heard him in his spirit or what happened, but he heard from the Lord, and the Lord told him, go and present yourself to Ahab. I will send rain on this land. What he was telling him, he says, there's all these doors, Elijah. I want you to walk to this door, rain on the land, and start knocking on it. <laughs> I'm going to do it, but I want you to start knocking, all right? So, Elijah, that's in verse 1. Then we skip down to verse 41. And Elijah does, in fact, exactly what God tells him to do. Elijah says to Ahab, Ahab was a king, by the way. He says, Ahab, go eat, drink, for there's the sound of a heavy rain. He heard it. Remember how I told you, you go ahead and receive what God's promised you. He says, I'm already hearing it. Nobody else heard it, but he heard it. He heard the sound of a mighty rain. So Ahab, who was not an intercessor, by the way, he was an evil king, he went off to eat and drink. Let me tell you what, when you get down on your knees, you're praying, other people may not be joining you. You might be doing it by yourself. That's okay. It's all right. Don't take on a martyr complex about it, but it's okay if you're by yourself praying for the situation, knocking on the door. So Ahab goes off to eat and drink. Elijah, in turn, though, he goes and climbs up Mount Carmel that oversees the Mediterranean Sea. He bends down on the ground and puts his face between his knees. Remember that, because we're going to come back to that in a second. He has a servant there, and he says to the servant, go look towards the sea. Remember about waiting? You're waiting expectantly. If God says he's going to open the door, you knock and you expect that door to open. It might take days. It might take weeks. It might take years. But I'm going to keep knocking on this door because God placed me here. And I'm going to intercede until God opens this door because he says he's going to open the door. All right? So he says, go and look towards the sea. He goes, the servant comes back and says, there's nothing. Elijah says seven times, go back. The seventh time, the servant reports a cloud as small as a, hand, a man's hand is rising from the sea. And so Elijah says, go tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came on the intercessor, that's Elijah. He tucks in his cloak and he outruns Elijah all the way to the city called Je Jezreel. God has a door for you to knock on. I don't know what it is. You probably do. And if you don't, you need to ask him. There's a door you're supposed to be knocking on. And some of you have gotten discouraged because it didn't open right away. <laughs> That's all right. 
Mothers, grandmothers, you pray for your kids until your last breath. You don't give up. And fathers as well. You, you don't give up. We're in this for a lifetime, not for a quick fix. That's how the kingdom of heaven works. It's for a lifetime. And it's relatively short lifetime, quite honestly. But we intercede. We've got to hear God's voice first. And we find Elijah in an odd position. I don't think there's any accidental descriptions in the Bible. We find him with his knees up and his head between his knees. Now, I don't know if he was on his knees or if he was squatting with his knees between, with his head between his knees. One writer says that this uh, looked very similar to how women used to give birth back in those times. I don't know if this is the case or not, but whenever you're interceding, you're giving birth to God's will in this world. <laughs> you are. You're giving birth to God's will. If it's not for you, God's will may not happen in this situation. You can leave it up to chance or you can leave it up to God. You need to intercede for whatever it is that you need to intercede for. Let's bow our heads.